Yes, Lord, we worship you this morning. We give you our hearts. Uh, whatever we have within ourselves, God, we offer that to you today. Uh, thank you for receiving that. What, however small amount that is, God, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Thank you very much. School has started here, so we had to do some, you know, writing on the whiteboard and stuff like that. I don't know. Well, here we are. It's the first weekend of September. Is that good news? I don't know. Like, time keeps moving, doesn't it? And, and we can look back and see that uh, all summer long, I remember that I got to start this series, we've been eating our way through the book of Luke, just kind of enjoying meal after meal, looking at so many passages where Jesus ate or at least attended meals uh, in, with various people dealing with the many issues that were unique to each one. And so we've spent a week, uh, a week looking at all these different meals. And although each meal and the occasion was very different, it seems like, as I reflected on it, that there were a number of meals where Jesus didn't even eat at them because of circumstances that were there. And then many of these meals were very simple meals, made of really the most common uh, food of the day. It would be kind of that dry barley bread that not too many of us really would eat by choice today, but that's what they had, you know, and maybe some dried fish, some watered down wine, yum, you know, all the way around. That was kind of what was there, and yet they were a big deal. Meals were a big deal because of what it implied, the community that was there, and, and of course, the, the enjoying the food that was there. Well, today we're going to take a look at the very end of the book of Luke, the very last few verses, which is going to launch us into the final meal described in the Bible uh, involving Jesus, and that's in the book of Revelation. And this isn't just any old meal. This is the meal of all meals, the wedding supper, or really I want to say the wedding feast of the lamb. Some of the translations say the word supper, but for me, supper was a light dinner. You know what I mean? Sometimes you'd have a big kind of an early dinner during the day on Sundays. That was our family kind of tradition, so to speak, you know, big one o'clock, two o'clock meal, and then a light supper. And so I don't want us to think that this is just, just a supper, if that's your reference. This is like big time supper that we're, that's going on here, right? This is a marriage feast that's happening. Uh, so I want to make the connection with the book of Luke by, Luke by reading the last few verses uh, in that book. That's there in your outline, as well as the verses we'll be looking at in Revelation. And of course, you're always invited to follow along in your Bible as well. But in Luke 24, verses 50 to 53, and he, speaking of Jesus, he led them, his followers, out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Oh, what that must have been like, right? And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The end of the book of Luke. And of course, that continues on with the acts of the apostles and in the acts of the, et cetera, et cetera, of the church there. But here at the end of the book of Luke, Jesus ascends into heaven. And now we're going to fast forward to the next meal involving Jesus, as I said, that we see in the Bible. And in, in, in our open table uh, meal for today, we're going to be looking at Revelations 19, verses 6 through 9. It's a bigger passage, but I really wanted to pare it down so we could dig in deep. And the concept of God inviting people to the marriage feast of Jesus, really the, the emphasis today is on this invitation. So I want to read the verses, all of these verses uh, from Revelation so you can see what I'm talking about. Here we go. We'll read them again on the screen in your outline, or you can just listen. To set up what's going on here, this is a revelation uh, that God has given to the apostle John. 
towards the end of his life. And so that's what's kind of happening here. And so when he says, when we see I, this is John speaking. And, uh, and so he's hearing and seeing all sorts of things. So then I, John, heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride... <laughs> has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, he said, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true, the true words of God. Well, today we get to talk about this marriage supper of the Lamb, and that also means we get to touch on some end times issues. The fancy term is eschatology, you know, if you want to feel fancy about that, but end times issues. And I know for some of you, the book of Revelation could be kind of exciting. You're like, oh, cool, end time stuff, and you're kind of sitting forward on the edges of your seats thinking what might happen and when what might come up. And I, I know for others of us, it can be a little intimidating. You know, this book is kind of it's full of all that weird imagery and symbolism and what's real and what's symbolism, and it's, it's awfully dark, and it really is, a lot of it. And so we're maybe kind of approaching, and some of you may have no experience in any of that, and so you just, you're open to it. But today, we don't have time to be honest to dig too deeply into the end times. That's not the point, but I want to, we'll deal with it enough to make sure we understand this concept of this marriage suffer here. Uh, and so we are going to dig deep enough to benefit from some of the best purposes that God had for revealing these visions to the apostle John. See, I think sometimes we dig into Revelation and some of the other prophetic books and, and verses and try to figure out to the exact deal what God meant. And I'm pretty convinced that when God wanted us to know details, he gave us details, right? He gave us tons of details about Jesus and who he is and what he offers to us. He gives us incredible detail about himself and, and, and who God the Father is and how the Holy Spirit works. And in other areas, he kind of just does broad strokes and gives us colors and says, this is going to be cool. And I'm going to give you a flavor and a taste and just a little vision. And I think that's what a lot of revelation is. But we are going to dig down into it some. And God had very much had very many, quite a few purposes of, of, of the book of Revelation. And so to do a quick book of uh, overview of the book of Revelation, I'm going to give you 30 seconds from Revelation 1 up to Revelation 19. Maybe we can do it in 20. Ready? Letters to the seven churches. We actually did a series on that a few years ago. There's a scroll with the seven seals. You'll hear seven a lot, by the way. Seven trumpets, the appearance of the beast and the false prophets. Seven angels with seven plagues, not pretty. Seven bowls of the wrath of God, which is really not pretty. There's the fall of Babylon. And after all this, there's so much destruction and chaos, God's judgment against rebellious man and even Satan himself. 18 chapters of prophetic destruction, and then we hit chapter 19 and things change. Good? Got all that? Did you take notes? <laughs> The most glorious feast introduced. By the way, I did all that because there's all this. The context, by the time we get to Revelation 19, is like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And, bah, 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 and then the trumpet goes off and this mighty voice is just like, it's different now. So I just want to understand as we start today that this, this marriage supper starts with, it's different now. And there's our context, okay, to kind of launch us into this. The most glorious feast is introduced. And it's with a huge sigh of relief that God has stepped in. God has stepped in and ended the downward deadly spiral of mankind left to his own devices, his own selfishness, his own rebelliousness. And God finally said, that's it. It's time. Now, in your outline, I simply write 
FAQs about the marriage supper of the Lamb, frequently asked questions, and you may say, John, I never had any questions about it. And, but maybe you did, and as you read through the passage that we did together, some questions come to mind. Now, I want you to know I'm not going to answer these questions in order. That's why I didn't leave space for notes. I just kind of wanted to throw things out. When I read through this passage, I thought, questions like, you know, what is this all about, and who is this, and what is that, those things come to mind, and I'm not going to try to answer them in order. You'll notice on the back side of your outline, there's just some white space. So if something comes up where you feel like God prompts you today, some interesting information or some motivation or some inspiration, something there, there's some space to write some notes about some of what we'll talk about here. It's there. I really wanted to get us thinking about this marriage supper. So again, you can write down any information that you want to, but not only information today. Ooh, I learned some things. I want you to get a little excited. I want you to get excited and, and maybe in such a way that it's going to change your life a little bit and you're, you're going to leave with a little more of a bounce in your step as a follower of Jesus, an opportunity to be a follower if you're not yet, and that today and tomorrow and this week and this month and this year will be different as a result of some of the excitement of what we talk about today. Um, we can look forward to our future with Jesus with amazing excitement. So I want to start our analysis of the future marriage supper of the Lamb by looking at the history. We're going to go back first. The history of wedding customs of that day. Because when they start talking about weddings and this marriage supper, there's implications. The reader of that day knew exactly what they were talking about. And for us, we're thinking it might have been different than today. It was. So weddings of those days consisted of three parts. I want to set this up. So first of all, the first part of a wedding that would take place or marriage here would be a, a marriage covenant, which was between the parents of the bride and the bridegroom, either his parents or he himself. Already it sounds different, huh? <laughs> I've got one daughter who's now 13. I'm thinking this is pretty good. I wouldn't mind being that heavily involved to be, to be that. So they're involved in this. There's a contract that's made. And then a dowry was paid to the bride or to her parents. Now, this, this particular time, this was in their culture and their custom at the time. Now, this, this would be kind of like an engagement period that we would have. Often, our engagements are not a year long. Frequently, that was, in, that was most typical on that day. It would be a year period of time. The dowry was paid. It was a promise. And then there would be this year period of time. That would lead to the second part, which is one year later, again, usually a year. At a prescribed time, the groom and his friends went to the bride's house at midnight. You know, there are torches lighting the way. Maybe you've seen movies or heard something about this. Torches lighting the way in this processional, and they weren't quiet. It was a bunch of guys, right? So they're at midnight, woohoo, you know, and heading to the bride's house. And the bride and her maidens would be there. They knew he was coming. This wasn't like wake her up in the middle of the night. And they would be prepared for this marriage procession back to the groom's house. Now, then the wedding would take place, and that launches us into the third part of this marriage, this wedding customs here, which would be the marriage supper itself would begin, which could be long and spectacular. And as long as and as spectacular as the families could afford and could make happen, right? In terms of the quality of food, the quality of the wine that was served, how long it would be, how much was there, this would be a big deal. So, now I just wanted to understand that custom-wise of those three parts. When we talk about the future marriage supper of the Lamb, we can actually see those same three parts in perfect detail. The first part was completed. That was, that's, that's that marriage covenant that was made. That was completed when Jesus paid the price on the cross. You know, he offered his perfect life. He sacrificed himself on the cross. That's really the dowry. That's the payment to pay for this marriage, to pay for us, to pay for the penalty of our sins, to say, your, your sin has separated you from God, and I'm going to pay for that. 
Your sin has polluted you. Your sin has caused a separation in the darkness, and I'm going to take care of that, and I'm going to shine light, and I'm going to remove that. That's the dowry that was paid as Jesus hung on the cross. So that's already happened. That's happened in the past, and it actually it happens effectually for each one of us when we identify with that, okay? When we say yes to that because it's an offering of the dowry. It's paid in full if we receive it. Now, the second part then, again, this is, this is when the guys are coming with the torches. The second part applied to this end supper is that Jesus, Jesus himself is coming for us. It's called the rapture of the church. Um, it's Jesus coming to take his church to be with him and meet him. Again, this is end times prophecy here. Uh, but uh, again, I don't want to go too deeply in it. But he's coming for the church. He's coming for each and every believer. The Bible talks about, I don't know how it's going to happen specifically. Specifically, but we're going to meet him in the air. Cool. Some of you have had dreams about flying. We get to make it happen for real, right? You know, not just a dream, but it's happening. We meet Jesus in the air and he comes and brings him to himself. And it's a celebration. It's not scary. It's like, yes, finally. The third part then, this is the, this is the big party supper, the party feast promised in Revelation 19. Now, when does it happen? Now, I don't want to lose you again through some of these terminologies. And if you haven't studied any end times things, don't worry about the details. That's some of the beauty of it. God wants broad strokes here. But when does this happen? The first part happened, Jesus died on the cross. The second is, gonna is going to happen when Jesus comes again, and it's a promise. He said himself, I'm coming for you. And he's going to come and bring and lift us up to him, those, are the, the, those that are believers. And then this marriage supper, when is that going to happen? And so some scholars, as I read during the last couple weeks on this, some scholars said, well, that, that's going to happen during the seven-year tribulation. There's going to be, the Bible talks about seven years of really dark, dark times as the world goes into this downward spiral. Is at some point even, God actually removes the Holy Spirit after the church is gone. So we're not there. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're taken away. But God even removes his spirit, and it just goes into chaos and some of these things that Revelation talks about. And so some would say that it happens during that seven-year period of time. Many others say, and I would go myself in this area, that many more would say that, well, it actually happens during the thousand-year, if you've heard of that term, the millennium. That's a thousand-year period. After that seven-year period, when, G when, God, when, when God says, we're done, we talked about that, right? We're done. Left to your own devices, this is it. This is the time that I intervene. And so there's a thousand-year period described in Scripture where Jesus is going to reign here on earth, and we, as a follower of Jesus, if that's you, will reign with him. Okay, you're not going to die during that period of time. And again, we don't have time to go into too much details, but a thousand-year feast sounds pretty good, right? Did it start seven years earlier or not? Thousand-year feast. And, and so even others would say, you know what? It's not just a thousand-year millennium. But it will, it will continue into the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And again, if that sounds familiar to you, this is some of the things that the Bible talks about. After that, a thousand years in, there's going to be an establishment of unbelievable eternity, limitless of time. Just beautiful, amazing, beyond belief things that go on. And in fact, that marriage feast, this marriage supper will continue then for all of eternity. Now, I, I think this final view has the best support for looking at, at for the entirety of Scripture when you look at it. But, but you know what? I'm not going to you know, battle over that. Whenever it happens and for however long it happens, it's going to be the best and longest, most crazy, amazing meal party of your life. You know, just beyond belief. So... And now since we're talking about a meal here, really, really a feast that will last at least seven years, more likely a thousand years, most likely a thousand years plus eternity here, um, I want to go ahead and start talking about the food. Why not, right? 
How many of you enjoy food? <laughs> Those of you, their hands are going up. You're too busy thinking about lunch to even totally have paid attention to that. So we're going to take a little, I'd say a diversion, but it's not. I'm thinking that God's eternal feast is going to be pretty amazing, right? And so I want to just take a moment. We're going to menu plan a little bit. Now, now, don't worry. You're going to go, this is kind of weird. Don't worry. Okay, the, menu, the, the food is provided by the father of the groom, that's God, the Father himself. So it really doesn't matter what it costs or what it is, right? It's not going to be an issue. So what, what are some ideas of something that we might have that you enjoy, some foods that we might have at the marriage feast? Anybody? Rack of lamb. At the marriage of the lamb. I love it. Rack of lamb. Good start. Who else? What's that? Hummus. No one is laughing. I mean, they're laughing, but they're not laughing. Oh, hummus with garlic. We just, we just elevated things a couple notches right there, baby. Get the garlic flowing. Okay, somebody else. Pizza. Pizza. What was that one? Pizza and cake. Not together necessarily. Pizza. Cake. Tri-tip. Ribeye. I hear lobster. Someone's speaking my language. Crackers? <laughs> crackers. But not just crackers, but crackers. Did, did someone say crackers? Okay, I want to make sure because I don't want to write it if that was my own hearing that had gone awry. Rye crackers? Sorry. So, uh, candy? Who? Bagels. Breads? Bread's got to be there. You know what? None of the gluten stuff and all the things that some of us struggle with is just right there. Bread. Some of you are getting so into this. Ah, and you're shouting. Let me get one more. Wine, chocolate. That's two good ones. We'll do them both. You know what? Let me just pause for a second. Um, we live in a world, well, actually, that's my message. I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> I was going to comment on the wine because some of us struggle with like alcoholism and stuff like that. And right off the bat, if that was like a, ooh, hold on, different thing, folks. And that's what I want to head to next. Why bother to do this? I'll get to that, but I was just going to comment on it. Why bother to do this right now, the whiteboard menu? I think for me, I think too many times we, we kind of don't see all of this as real, you know, kind of end times. Yeah, that'll get there maybe someday. It could be tomorrow, and, and, and it could be right now, and I want, it to un- I want us to understand that it's a real deal, and, and that it, and it's, it's, it's not something, we don't see it as maybe as real, something to be excited about today, so again, to bring this to life a bit, it's like, wow, all of that and more, you know, we really, I actually have multiple pages, but just for the sake of time, that this could be, because you may say, you left off my favorite, well, this is just the appetizers, <laughs> I don't know, right, I mean, this is like, Eternity feast, thousand years at least, you know, it's going to be amazing. So some more detail here is the very idea that we'll enjoy food as a part of our eternity with Jesus is exciting in and of itself. You know, it's not just that we'll have only spiritual bodies that will kind of just float up in the heavens and be very spiritual and stuff. Well, that sounds fun, kind of. But the real physical thing is what this is about. And so real physical bodies, real physical food that's here, and some of the the pleasures of life. Jesus was criticized for enjoying pleasures. When he was hungry, he ate, even if it wasn't the right food at the right time and stuff. But that's there. 
every good, and if you think about it, every great food or meal we, we taste here on earth is just really a suggestion of what God has prepared for us. You see, you know, if you think about it, we live in a world, we live in a fallen world, a broken world with decaying bodies and, and imperfect senses. And in fact, every year I'm reminded more and more as the ears go a little bit and the eyes go a little bit that, you know, this isn't quite like it was. And even at that prime of life, which maybe some of you were in, you just need to understand that's just a tiny taste of what perfection could and would be. So let's apply, apply that just for fun to the whole food thing. We live right now, our food isn't perfect. You know what I mean? They make it look perfect in the grocery store sometimes with the polish and all that sort of stuff, but it just isn't, you know, and I hate that. You know, we, my wife spends a bunch of money on some really good fruit and you bring it home and cut it open and it's not good. And you're like, I just throw it away, you know, because it's not, it looks so good, but it's not. Perfect food, always perfect food. And, um, and we also know that... Um, Entrance into the sin, entrance of sin into the world all those years ago, we're fallen. And so all of a sudden you think, what will that feast be like when the food is pure and our taste buds are perfect again? Just beyond what we can imagine. We've just had these little suggestions that your very favorite food when you go, ah, oh, that's like, okay, well, good, that's a warm-up. This is gonna be ah oh, and ah oh, and just amazing through this. My mouth starts watering a little bit just thinking about it. Now, this is behind me. You have to keep looking at it <laughs> throughout the talk as well. So if you get, you know, get hungry for lunch or something like that. Now, as we've seen throughout the series, the feast isn't just about the food and the drink. I mean, I took a second to do this, but really I want to make it tangible, not just like, oh, yes, one day the marriage feast of the lamb. No, real food, real deal stuff. Rack a lamb on down, right? Right there and available in perfection with perfected senses. Because God loves us, and he wants us to celebrate in his presence and to celebrate with us. You see, it isn't just about something like the food, but it, that's partly it. But it's about the relationship, and really that's the best part. It's the relationship. It's about the perfect communion and close connection and community with Jesus and with each other. And it's going to be amazing. And yeah, the food's going to be there too. All very real. The real deal. It tells us it's going to last a long time. It's not just a fast food meal or even, you know, you think about it, a long Thanksgiving style dinner where you eat during the daytime and then you somehow find room to eat one more turkey sandwich at eight o'clock at night or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, I probably shouldn't have, but you know, it's not even that where you could call it a day. It's not even in, in those days, you know, the marriage feast might go through four or five, six, if you were wealthy enough, maybe a whole week. But this just goes on and on and not eating to the point of, you know, death, but to say it continues the goodness of all that's there. Well, you might ask again, it starts talking about the bride and we've talked about it here, but to look into who is the bride and 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 we we the people of Jesus's church of God's church, we are the bride. And, and you know what? I got to be honest as a guy that's been a little weird for me growing up. You know, you're going to be the bride of Christ like, oh, that's cool, I think. Because I always looked forward to being the groom. And now being married, like I've always been the, the guy on the other side. But So what does this mean? Oh, it means I get to be with Jesus. An unbelievable, close, committed, eternal communion and connection with Jesus. The love of my life. Call me a bride all you want. Right? But the bride isn't just me. If you've made that decision, the bride is you. And the bride is you. And the bride is you. It's us. It's his church saying close communion and connection for eternity. An unbelievable relationship. We're the bride of Christ, and, 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 uh, 
And it, it's also called the New Jerusalem comes up sometimes as well. That's the bride of Christ. And again, just for a second, unless that gets confusing, this New Jerusalem of end times, it's called the bride. And that city really represents the people that will be the inhabitants. I mean, Jesus isn't going to marry a bunch of buildings, even if they're glorified, perfect, eternal buildings. It's the people of the city. And that's his church, right? So really, it's kind of one and the same that's there. I just wanted to throw that out if you bump across. Well, you know, you read somewhere and the bride is the new Jerusalem. That's the church. The new Jerusalem is the dwelling place of people that are followers of Jesus for eternity. And uh, so that's a beautiful thing. The bride is the people who choose to follow Jesus from, catch this, from the point of his resurrection and, and Pentecost, his resurrection ascension. And then um, through his return, there's going to be this period of time. We know that it's at least several thousand years. We don't know when that's going to happen. It talks about white linen, again, FAQs, you know, frequently asked questions here. It talks about this white linen. The significance of that on the bride is that linen, because we're the church, and Jesus is like, to be a worthy bride, let's put white linen on. Linen was um, expensive cloth during that day used to make garments for priests and for royalty. And so this is like the best stuff available. This is expensive. It's hard to find. It's hard to make it nice. And, um, and brightness is the color of radiant or, or is the color. It's radiant whiteness that depicts glorification. So all this is listed there in that passage. So I just want to dig into it to say this is really going to be the very best and the very finest. The clean aspect of it reflects purity, loyalty, and faithfulness. Now, it says there, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the bride, the bride really has made herself ready, as it says in that passage, as well as customarily what has happened uh, that time when the, when the groom and his men are coming. And, and the bride makes herself ready by responding to the grace of God in Jesus, by allowing him to produce obedience and righteousness in her. See, I wanted to say this because it says the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And we can stray back into the, okay, that means I got to work really hard so that he's, he's impressed with me. First of all, we can't work hard enough really to impress God, can we? But gratefully, his grace and his love and all that he gives us fills us, indwells us, envelops us, and that's worthy of him. And it's him, not us. And so the righteous deeds of the saints are, as we prepare for him, allow him to live in and through us, it produces those, those righteous deeds. And so in, a, in essence, the bride reflects the groom, in some sort of a, almost a strange sense there. It's, it's a beautiful thing, but it allows him to produce obedience and righteousness in us, in the church, in the bride. Now, see, the linen garments are a gift. Uh, the bride didn't earn them. The linen uh, garments are a gift, and, but she responds by making herself ready through her faithfulness and her loyalty to him. So we have a part. It's not just sit back and be passive, but we enter into this relationship, this activity. So there's a question, if we're the bride, if you are the bride of Christ, and you are the bride or part of being this bride, if you've accepted his proposal, his proposal, his, his gift of new and eternal life, and, and the question is this, and this is, you only get to fill in a couple of blanks, so here we go, here's one of them. Hey, bride, are we making ourselves ready? Are we making ourselves ready? And there's a question that really just needs to be asked. You know, what does that really mean, first of all? Because all this is figurative language. I mean, us as a group of people being a singular bride, it's guys and girls, you know, all this sort of stuff. But what does that really mean to say, are we making ourselves ready? Well, it means a couple of things. First of all, you just have to say, are we living, remember those righteous deeds of white linen that we talked about? Are we living holy lives? Are we anticipating his coming for us? 
You see, lest we get caught in the trap of legalistic, what I have to do to earn God's love, we just talked about that, you can't, and yet he calls us, he prompts us, he motivates us, he empowers us to live different from what we used to live and to live different from the world. And so I guess what I want to ask as you look at your own life is, what would you do if to, to your life and to your home if you knew that Jesus was physically going to come to your house for an evening? You know, Ron mentioned about his chance to go to, a, to an open house here or something like that. But what if you knew, and don't worry, it's not tonight, Panicsville, but like in 10 days, in 10 evenings, Jesus is going to come 4 o'clock to 9 o'clock. He's going to be at your house. What would you do? <laughs> you got 10 days, right? I, I don't know what you'd do. You'd, you know, all of a sudden, you'd, you know, at the very least, you'd probably clean up a little bit, and you may have a really clean house, but it's time to, how do I do this better, you know? Not... Not that he's going to judge me necessarily, but, you know, you'd sweep, you'd vacuum, you'd clean a little bit, maybe you'd clean a lot, maybe a little air freshener, and eva- evaluate the things that have just been around for Maybe you'd need to change out some of your decorations, you know. Mm, that one's a little iffy on the wall, but this, this, this Jesus quote might come in really handy. Maybe he'll recognize that, right? You know, who knows what you do, but he's coming. You'd think about the food probably a little bit, some menu preparation and planning, and what would we do and what would we eat, and I don't want to be over the top. Would I use my fine china, but is that showing off? But, oh, he deserves the best. Would you go through these sorts of things? Probably for the next 10 days, you'd do very little else than to plan for his coming if you knew for sure he was coming. You'd probably skip work if you do work, you know, whatever else. Uh, who, who knows what's there? But this would pr- totally preoccupy you, and it would change how you lived your life for the next 10 days. You getting where I'm going with this? This is really about being watchful and being alert. Because if you knew Jesus was coming to your house in 10 days, you might also increase your time in the Bible before then. You might actually even pray more than you do before then because you really want to be you want to be close to God when Jesus is coming, not like, hey, Jesus, haven't talked with you in about two weeks. Good to see you. Right? All of a sudden, man, you open the Bible and, and you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be living differently. You'd be pursuing different things. Things that were so important to you yesterday aren't so important anymore because Jesus is coming. Would your life look any different? It comes down to this. Don't put off doing the important things, <laughs> the really important things. Today may be the day. What if Jesus did come tonight? You don't have time to do all the cleaning and stuff like that, but what do you have time to do? Some introspection, some preparation, what's there? Jesus is coming. He's coming to your house. Are you going to live any different? Not out of fear, but because Jesus deserves our best, doesn't he? He Doesn't he? I know if he came to my house, he's going to have to put up with a bunch of animals and loud kids, and it's, it's, it is what it is. I'm not going to make him go away. But it's going to be amazing what we get to celebrate with together. Second, preparation is, first we talked about being watchful and being alert, and it's going to change my life knowing that Jesus is coming. Second, making ourselves ready for Jesus, and the marriage supper means telling others that he's coming. The concept that Jesus is coming, first of all, I don't know, do I want to invite some neighbors or friends over? Because I kind of want Jesus for myself, but isn't that kind of selfish? If he's coming to my house, maybe he's coming to yours next. But at the very least, the fact that Jesus is coming and he loves you enough to want to come and spend time with you and to envelop you in, in love and freedom and forgiveness and all those things, isn't that worth telling somebody about? 
I think so. It's fascinating to me that this, this bride of the old times there, here comes the groom, but he's not by himself. It's with his dudes. And the bride is getting ready with her maidens. It's midnight. And like all the other girls are like, I get to do an all-nighter and I'm not the bride. But it doesn't matter because I'm with her and I'm a part of this whole thing. The togetherness part of it is so huge and it's so big. He is coming Telling someone allows them to look forward to the marriage supper and eternity with Jesus too. I guess I don't want to get so absorbed with my own personal preparation that I don't let others know about the love of Jesus, forgiveness, and freedom, and, and the life that's available to the family of God. So when we say, hey, bride, get prepared, we're saying, take a look in and then take a look out. A am I allowing Jesus to create in me what he wants so that I'm prepared, that I'm watchful and alert? And then am I, gonna, am I really going to tell somebody about Jesus? Because by the way, that end time, time is coming. And when that time happens, it's too late. We don't know when too late is. So why not talk to somebody today? Begin the relationship today. As Rana said, and we've encouraged you, take some out, someone out to a meal today. Invite someone into your home today, this week. Here's the key to all of this. And this is your second big fill-in, so warm up your hands. Here's the key to all of this. It's an invitation-only event. It's an invitation-only event. You see, it's a family feast, a feast only for those in God's family. And, but when we hear invitation-only, so often I hear about that when I'm the one not invited, right? You know, ooh, they get to go to that concert. It's invitation-only to go backstage. That's not me. I didn't get that. You know, ooh, you get to go to that high-profile royal wedding or something, invitation-only. I didn't get it. This is an invitation-only event that includes all of us. See, God isn't interested in excluding people. He, God's not the door at the bouncer, you know, big dude, arms crossed. He eyes each one of us. Do you get to get in? Are you worth it? You know, that's not him. That's not what's going on. He's, he, he's the host. He's the author of the feast. He's the author of all life. And, and he's inviting each and every one of us into his family, into the eternal feast. So the invitations out there, will it include everybody? No, because not everybody responds. And the Bible is very clear about that. The invitation is handed out, and some people go, no thanks, and flip it away. I don't understand that, but some people do. And some people maybe two or five or 35 times say no, but the 36th time they say yes. That's why we as a church continue to encourage you to talk to people, and we as a church continue to talk on Sunday mornings even to you to say the invitation is there again today. You may have heard about it for the first time today, or you may have heard about it thousands of times. The invitation is today. Every single one of us is invited every moment of every day, and you're created and loved by God, and he wants to adopt you into his family. Now, we see in Revelation 19, 9a, that's the passage that we're working from. It says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, you know, it's interesting, all kinds of commentaries about this, but, you know, if you're the bride in the wedding, are you invited to the wedding? That almost sounds kind of weird, right? And, and so really quickly, again, to make sure we do justice to this passage, it seems like the church, from when Jesus rose to when he comes again, the people that ask Jesus into their heart, that's the church, that's the bride. Well, who else is invited? Well, first of all, we're all invited. The bride is invited. It's kind of implied. But what about the people who lived and followed God before Jesus was here? but lived righteous lives and, and are adopted into God's family in a sense. Well, those people aren't the bride of Christ in the sense of that, but aren't they invited into this? 
and maybe about the people again in times that after that point of the rapture during the end times, the Bible says some people are going to come to faith after the church is removed. It's going to be tough, but those people as well. So this invitation is not just to the believers during Christ's time, but certainly it would go to the past and into the future. Bottom line, the biggest issue is this. The invitation is clear in that God invites you to the feast and God invites you into the family. Now, earlier in the book of Revelation, Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is a verse that Ron read earlier. If anyone hears my voice, Jesus is speaking, and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, in context, I have to be honest with you, the passage is written to the lukewarm Christian church of Laodicea. And, and so it's funny how some commentators get really upset about this. People use this verse to help people find Jesus, but it's really written for the lukewarm Christian who is strayed to say, Jesus is going, you've kicked me out of the center of your heart. I'm still kind of here in the fringes. I'm in you. I never leave you. But I'm really loving to get back into your heart to be in control and to love you from up close. So I'm going to stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, we can have closer communion because you kind of pushed me away. Absolutely, that's what this passage is talking about. And the reality is that's speaking to some of us here today at church, here some of us watching online, uh, maybe the, some of us over at our little church planet Eschaton over at Wayne Brown. There's some of us that are in that point, point that right now Jesus is standing at the door knocking and saying, you've let me in, but right now you've kind of shut me out. And I'm patiently and gently knocking saying, if and when you open the door, I want to come in and have closer community and fellowship with you. And that invitation is for you today. And it will continue to be there on the way through. But at the same time, that's the context of that verse. At the same time, um, this verse can be applied to someone who is not a believer as well. That's absolutely true. Does Jesus offer himself to all? Yes. The Bible says clearly that. Is he knocking at your heart saying, I'm not pounding the door down. I'm not going to make you but I'd love to come in and have this relationship with you. I'd love to adopt you into God's family for eternity. And that offer is there. The invitation is there. As long as, as long as you understand who Jesus is, God himself, who came in the form of man and lived a perfect life and died to, to take away my, my sin and my failure and, and restore a relationship with God, he invites you. And the question simply is, will you respond? Because an invitation is just that. It's an offer that you get to respond to. A final thing in this passage is that it's a certainty. And that's why the angel speaking in Revelation ends this section on the marriage supper of the Lamb by saying, uh, and he said, the angel said to me, these are the true words of God. Uh, this is crazy to me that, you know, um, John has seen all these things and the angel stops and he talks, remember all the darkness, all the stuff. And then this is the marriage supper and the voice is saying, hallelujah. And this is, and this marriage feast. And you know what? This is the real deal. It's like he stops and goes, did you miss that? Did you think I was kind of just making up a little fairy tale? This is it. This is absolute certainty that's here. These are the true words of God. You can bank on it. And then the question then is, will you respond to the invitation today? We are each invited, all of us, we're invited to the table of, of his love and goodness and freedom and forgiveness. If you're already a believer, a follower of Jesus, come closer. Come closer. Live with anticipation and eagerness. Maybe you're not there yet. The invitation is come closer. Maybe you're a believer that has strayed or, or wandering in the process. The invitation is to turn around and embrace him again. Let him in. Let him in and let him rejuvenate and revive you. 
And you who don't yet know Jesus personally, personally, he invites you to come to the table, to come to the family. Our band has come back on stage and we have a song that is so fitting for not just for the whole series, but even for today. Come to the table. The invitation that's there, and music sometimes speaks so much better than the spoken word. I want you to soak in. You may have heard this song on Christian radio or you know wherever you listen to your music and might be the first time for you. I want you to hear the words anew, if you know the song, hear them fresh, and hear Jesus speaking to you wherever you are.
Did you get the invitation? <laughs> Did you get the invitation? Yes. It was delivered, and then, and, and then you respond, and you say, I'm coming. Let's eat. Let's make it happen. Or you can say, no, thank you. I'm not ready. Don't say that. <laughs> you can say that. This message isn't just for those of you who don't know Jesus. Because some of you have been followers of Jesus for a lot of years and you're like, oh yeah, this is a salvation message. Yes, come to the table. It's for you. Come to the table. Be prepared and come to the table because he's coming. He's coming to your house in a sense, right? He's already at your house, by the way, isn't he? Let's pray together. Jesus, I hear the invitation. I receive the invitation and I respond. come to the table, the wedding feast of the supper, wedding supper, the wedding feast of the lamb. And the invitation is now, God. Lord, I just pray that you would prompt hearts, Lord, uh, quiet hearts, perhaps sad hearts, maybe calloused hearts, open hearts, God. May you speak to each one of us and may we hear and respond. And you have a choice to do that today, to receive Jesus for the first time. Invite him in, ask forgiveness and leadership, and he will do that. Invite him back in to be at the core of your being. And then invite him to be your purpose, for you to be watchful and awake and prepared. God, we love you. Thank you for being the author of life and of the feast. In Jesus' name, amen.